Snowmageddon 2018. <laughs> in the blizzard of 2018, the cars were just lumps on the snow. Oh my gosh, dude. I just, you know, retrofitted a not a surf song for our podcast. But as I was driving over here, I passed by like a car lot. Yeah. And all the cars were just little lumps <laughs> in the snow because we got a lot of it, dude. Yeah, welcome to Michigan Winter Wonderland. How, how many inches of snow do you think we got? Like 14 inches. Yeah, I would say that. What's that metric for I, Canadian listeners? Uh, I don't know, eh? More, more <laughs> centimeters than the inch amount. Yeah, I yeah, I have no idea. I I learned metric in school and then I totally forgot. But uh, one inch equals twenty five point four millimeters. Wow, Mil- I, milliliters? Millimeters. I thought you said liters. I do that every day at work. Like I can literally co- convert metric to inch. It's your superpower. It is. <laughs> A quarter inch is six point two four. Oh my god! I mean, I could just go. I could just go. Keep going. You want me to keep going? Do one more. Uh, Just in case people aren't convinced. A half inch is 12.7 millimeters. There you go. Three quarters of an inch is 19.05 millimeters. Wow. I'm sitting over here on this edge of the basement just like completely in awe of your skill. You want to hear some more? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jason, I'll I'll say this, too, about your skills. Um, So. You and I, we've been doing this podcast for a while, you know? Almost two years. Almost, It'll be two years this summer. Yeah, but I mean, summer's not that far away, even though there's 14 inches of snow outside. Right. So you and I, we've been doing this podcast for, for years, or yeah, almost years, and I am just flabbergasted and just so in awe of your skill and my inability to come into <laughs> a podcast every week. But Jason, we're we're finally hitting a new milestone for our podcast. I think we're I think Wiz is going to take it to the next level. Oh, wait, what, my my skill? Yeah, you're. I'm sk- sorry, I wasn't listening. I was calculating that 14 <laughs> inches was 355. I was trying to give millimeters. you a compliment about how skillful you are at this podcast, how good you are at editing and just getting guests it's and doing praise. interviews, all that stuff. But I was saying we're our podcast is getting to the next level. You know what that level is? What's that level? Jason, dust off the offering plates and start passing them out. Oh, yeah. Because we're doing a Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're going, we're going to pass the trays. Yeah, pass them. Yeah, not not the. Not if we the, don't collect enough the first time, send them around yeah, again. I'm, I'm talking like the gold plated trays that felt are felt lined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know the ones I'm talking about. And for all of our Catholic friends, the basket with a stick on the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I mean, seriously, we started a Patreon. Yeah. Um, we need we need your help. Like We really do. We could use your support to, to keep this thing going. So, I mean, not to make a giant deal out of it. Um, patreon.com nypp and if you feel so inclined to support us financially awesome but more importantly than finances if you feel inclined to record a pulpit for us yeah even better because we will then share your story of jesus on our podcast and we have another one that we released earlier this week alex billy billy trahan and she delivers a bomb yeah. of a sermon. There's a, there's a part in there where she talks about how she just spent this time with Jesus while she was painting and writing. I mean, couldn't think of a better time to spend with Jesus than doing that stuff, right? Amazing. There. You need you need to go back and listen to that. Uh, I think it's Pulpit 19. It's right in our podcast feed. Listen to that. Visit our Patreon. But today, Alex, we have an amazing interview. But I must confess something. What? A quarter inch is not 6.24. 6.24 is my wife's birthday. Uh, I do that all the time. It's 6.35. Okay. So, uh, if, like, it just wasn't sitting right with me. I, I was just hoping somebody like in Canada or in Europe wouldn't like email us and be like, hey, you guys were wrong. It's not 6.24. I, I, that, that would be like a we're huge trolled. hit to my pride. <laughs> <Of> conversion. <laughs> but who is our guest? Justin Dillon, man. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I dude. feel like I should clean up the basement. Like, it's so dirty. Like, he's, he's coming over to my house through Skype. <laughs> man, if you don't know who Justin Dillon is, then, like, we're honored to introduce him to you. Um, we're talking about a former musician who left a relatively successful music career to become a social activist and take on the world of human trafficking. 
I mean, what he does, and we get into that in the, in the interview a little bit, what he does and what his company does, but man, his story is just so incredible. And I feel like not only is his story inspiring, but the advice that he gives yeah, is also really inspiring. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's what his book, A Selfish Plan to Change the World, is about. I mean, he talks about him and his humility doing these big and gigantic things and how he encourages us, like literally a guide for us. Um, to do the same and his book's incredibly uplifting we get into that too absolutely so I feel like the only words that are worth saying to bring in Justin Dillon are the words that the great Samuel L. Jackson once said hold on to your butts (laughs) because two guys who couldn't make it as pastors are going to interview Justin Dillon and bring you not your pastors finding the meaning of your life episode Hey, Justin, man, how's it going? It's going great. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so, All the way from California. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, I know where here is for me. Where's here is for you? Flint, Flint, Flint yeah. Michigan. Flint, Michigan, in a basement. Oh, yeah. oh even better. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's yeah. musty, but it works. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, happy- so, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, happy to report that Alex's water is okay. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. the city okay. came back and said that there's not enough lead to kill me. So yeah. good. Okay, <laughs> enough lead to finish your homework. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Right. <laughs> uh, so Justin, man, uh, we got you up here on video, and you can see us, and you can see in the background. And I'm I'm wondering from from all of your work if you can just look at people and determine how much slave labor went into what they're wearing? Uh, no, I don't. I try not to look at the world through those eyes. Oh, I, man, that would be tough. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be, uh, that would be tough. I don't, <laughs> I don't walk around trying to figure out how much slavery it takes to run anyone's life. Oh, man, I was... for that. Yeah, I mean, we got your book here, a selfish, a selfish plan to change the world, and in it, in it you talk about finding your riot, which we'll get into a little bit. But it's like, man, your your riot is human trafficking, and yes, it is. And man, that's that's got to be tough, man. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'd, I'd say that my riot, the thing that I want to achieve in the world, the thing that I believe that I was made to do, was to um, help people get involved in some in, 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 in narratives that may not may not look like their own. Like I, I personally have never uh, dealt with 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 slavery. Uh, I've never had to face it. I've never even had to face po- poverty. So why on earth would um, somebody else's problem, uh, you know, be part of my narrative? And I just happen to believe that that's what we're made for. I believe that we're made to take on the narratives of others. And I think that's what makes our narrative that much more interesting. So I don't go around all day thinking about slavery, but I do think about finding ways to um, uh, make a world that's free for everyone to thrive in. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty heavy for me to think about. <laughs> like when Jason first told me about you, I was just like, this guy, one, wants to come on our show. And two, like, man, I never even thought about about like the clothes that I buy or the 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 other consumer goods that I buy or like, I kind of want to see if any of my guitars were made by slaves because I'm I'm a musician as well, and yes. I kind of want to know. Mine are made. Mine are made in Japan. I don't know if that if that helps at all. Well, nothing's made in. Well, the the, the, the reality is nothing is made in one country. Anymore. Right. I mean, that's the benefit and the downside of globalization is that no matter where your computer's made, where your microphone's made, you know, uh, the wood paneling on your new house. You know, I mean, I don't even know if you know this, but like most of the wood that we use to, uh, in America is imported. Yeah. I mean, you just don't even think about excuse, almost all the drywall that we use to build our homes is is, is brought in from from China. That's nice. um, most of the solvents that we use to put the glue together to make things is is, is made in parts of Russia and Poland, sometimes North Korean forced laborers are sent to work in those solvents factories. I mean, these are just like the way that the world works to serve us and to 
make things work for us is it's it's much much bigger than just you know one uh, one stop in the in the supply chain. Yeah, it's and I'm fascinated with that. Yeah, well, it's 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 kind of scary how much you don't think about any of that. Like we're just we're just almost completely blind to it. And you mentioned supply chains, and it's it's ironic because I was I was listening uh, to NPR today on the way over here, and I I caught just the second half of it, but it was talking about ending uh well working toward ending human trafficking in the seafood industry. Yeah, and it was yeah. all about identifying the supply chains and who's who's fishing, who's, who's, you know, who's making the catches. And they, they were actually able to, um, to make progress in determining, um, how long the boats were out to sea and, yeah. and figuring out, I was just like, like, man, that's just, that's just stuff you don't, you don't even think about. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is we haven't had to think about it. I don't, I don't think that, you know, when, when we put out slavery footprint, which it's, it's a website, I don't know if your listeners know about this, but but about uh, six years ago, the, the the State Department, the U.S. State Department, contacted me and wanted to work on a project similar to Carbon Footprint. They, we called it Slavery Footprint, yeah. where you could figure out basically how many slaves it takes to produce your lifestyle. And we spent a year building it, and we went. I mean, we went for it. We went deep into research. We hired all kinds of econometricians and, and analysts and artist to be able to build this website where you can kind of see the backstory of your life. And it wasn't, and part of the rule that we made for ourselves is we, we don't want to bum anyone out. Yeah. Uh, which is a tough rule. When you're talking yeah. About. yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and, and here's, here's where we succeeded. And here's kind of like where, where I don't know if we ever could have won is we decided that the first question we were going to ask people or ask the world is, do you want to know how many slaves work for you? Oh, that's a tough question. That's the first question. That's the first question on the website, and I couldn't believe the government let me do that. Like they paid for that. Like your tax dollars paid to ask the world that question. It could have like blown up in my face. Wow. And blown up in the people's faces at the State Department that funded it, but we did it, and it actually that was really it actually worked out really well because, man, if you could ask that question, of course you want the answer, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like the question you never thought to ask yourself, but you have to get the answer. And <laughs> over over 30 million people from every country in the world, other than North Korea, have gotten the answer to that question. People do want to know. People have no idea. And it's not it's it's not designed and, and, and that NPR show or the work that we do, it's not designed to bum anyone out. Yeah. It's designed to open our eyes. And I would say help us understand how much power we really do have. Our national narrative as a country is all about not having enough power or they've got power and we don't. But my job is to help people understand consumers and now specifically businesses. Look at all the power you do have. Your, do your dollars go all around the world. They don't just go to Japan, they go to North Korea, they go to Malaysia. Your dollars, when you buy a product or service, they go everywhere. And what to me, what excites me is that we actually have the power because of globalization to change things we would we didn't even know existed. We didn't even know that that Thai fishermen are being thrown onto shrimp crawlers across the Thai Ocean and thrown into cages on islands until they need them again, just so we can have a shrimp salad. We didn't know that, and now we do. But the power is in how we use our money, and that's what that's the work that I do today, and that's what gets me excited. Is that yes, yes. This is tough stuff. And yes, I've met these fishermen. Yes, I've met these little kid, three-year-old kids that go into the mines to pick the sparkles to go on our makeup. Oh. I've met all of them, the tragic stories. But the story's not over. And the third act of this story is how we as consumers and how we as businesses leverage our power to change the world. Man, like, uh, well, you, you, just, you just triggered me a little bit in, in reading your book, but that was like kind of the first thing when I pick up your book, A Selfish Plan to Change the World. I was like, man, I don't know if I want to read this. I don't know how bad I want to feel. Like this is going to be one of those books that's just going to make me feel bad. But you you did such a phenomenal job of by the time I get to the end of each chapter, I don't feel depressed or down about myself or feel awful about what's happening, you know, that I'm blind to. Instead, I felt empowered. Like, 
No, I I can do something like, and and that was that was incredibly impactful. I mean, so you're talking about these children mining mica, you know, and yeah. um, you're uh, it was a big narrative game changer for for me and what and what you did. I don't remember the ex- specific chapter in there, but I know that you were talking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. Indiana Jones ends up freeing all these children who were yeah. who were slaves. But you made the point that Indiana Jones isn't the hero. He's the helper. And that the That's real right. hero in those those stories are the children themselves. And That's that right. that was a big deal to me because I always think uh, I mean just from childhood like you like I played in bands. Like you want, I want to be the star. You know, I mean, I remember uh, doing dance routines with my siblings in our in our backyard because we wanted to be on Star Search. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> what was that? And McMahon, I was so mad when they kicked me out of the dance routine because I couldn't do a, a cartwheel. Like it's ticked off. But anyway, like I want to be the hero, right? And and in these instances, like. No, you're not the hero. You're the helper, and that's a game changer. That's a big deal. I, I think that's the that's, that is the narrative of the Bible is exactly. the opportunity to participate in big narratives. The yes. big narrative isn't isn't what we do, and I think that we've Americanized not just you know stories in Scripture, but but really um, heroic stories. Um, from from you know all different types of, of source materials where we you know we lionize um, the hero and we don't recognize that you know just about every movie whether it's an action hero movie or whatever every movie is about someone stepping in and helping someone else get out of their situation yeah. and we, we tend to just make it simple and go well there's a hero and here here's why I wrote that book is that 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 narrative of like there's heroes out there and I'll never be one, that is one of the cruelest injustices to humanity I've ever seen and one of the biggest lies I've ever seen. Every hero, every true hero, every every person who has actually done something and opened the door so that others' lives may improve, that person, we did not see that person coming. We did not see that that person was going to rise up and do something. And Every hero is unlikely. And this idea that heroes are likely figures that we see in our community or that we see on TV, it's just, it's pure fairy tale. Hmm. I believe the heroes in the book that I talk about are people that were unlikely and that fell into it. And, and I certainly do not consider myself a hero. I don't at all. I'm a helper and I get off on making things that help make, help other people be the heroes. I mean that now our job what we do as a company, we've got a company called Freedom FRDM under this idea of Made in a Free World, which is is, is our nonprofit, where we make software that we, we give to companies that help them find slavery in their supply chain. And we're talking like, we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars that are being leveraged through our software to make the world a better place. I'm not the hero. We're not the hero in that story. It's the companies that are using the hero that that that's that that um the the companies that are using the software that's the hero. That to me is is such a, a richer place to 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 build a life is one in which you get to be the helper and you kind of move yourself out of the centerpiece. That's where life really that's where life really exists and that's where I think the most interesting narratives for anyone's life is. Yeah, man, you, you mentioned it being the the biblical narrative. And when I read that chapter, I was like, holy crap, that's absolutely right. Like, Jesus sent, when, when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit, who was the helper, who is to help us to conform to the image of Jesus. Like, in doing that, that makes us helpers. Like, uh, it was just, uh, I don't ever think I ever looked at it in that fashion. Like, it's like when I try to put myself in the hero, I kind of make a pretty crappy hero. Well, everyone does. Everyone, other everyone other than gods and demigods, really are crappy heroes. Yeah, everyone. And so, but but what that empowers you to do is to be really an awesome helper. We just don't. We don't have a narrative. We don't. We don't have a, a cultural narrative that supports that, right? And yeah. and that to me is where, honestly, I think we 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 hit some of the crises that we do, like slavery, like poverty, like discrimination, because. 
we are more comfortable to have fairy tale heroes, whether they're, you know, Bill Gates or Bono or whoever you want to make into a hero that's changing the world. I mean, those are real people, obviously, but the the idea that only people like that are the ones that change the world, I think, is just, I, I, frankly, I think it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, it's incredibly dangerous. It's 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 literally dangerous. Like the world doesn't get better; it gets worse when we when we hold out these fairy tales. And it's existentially bad for us because we're not finding out who we truly are because we believe that that narrative wasn't designed for us. Yeah. Uh, J- Justin, I wanted to ask a question because I, I didn't get a chance to read your book. Uh, J- Jason got a copy of it and he didn't pass it on to me. In no, time. I hoarded just, it. Yeah. No, I did. <laughs> but Jason did. It would bum you out apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But Jason did send me a, a video of your talk to Google. You did a talk with Google okay. or something, and I, I got to watch that. And he's like, this will this will be a good preview for you for yeah. when we do the Justin interview. And you did you had this concept, and I, I kind of want to talk about this a little bit, uh, the concept of poverty of means versus poverty of meaning. Oh, that's where I was going, too. So I kind of wanted to talk about that because that really struck a note with me. So can you explain to our audience a little bit what those terms mean and why they, why, why there's a conflict with those in our world today? Yeah. And, and and I'll just say that, um, um, yeah, both of those concepts are in the book and part of what I am, am trying to lay out. And it was interesting getting to, you know, talk about that at Google. Google has, uh, as a, um, as a company has created incredible efficiencies in people's lives. Right. I mean, we don't even think twice when we want to find information anymore. It's just, just it's it, 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 you know, for people who didn't grow up with that, I didn't grow up with Google. Um, you like, you just, you you stop and and realize that, wow, we've, you know, and I, you know, I live in San Francisco or, or outside San Francisco, but work there. And everything about this city is about creating efficiencies, getting optimizing everything from driving to sleeping to working. Everything's about optimizing. Where we don't think about optimizing is how we change the world to make it a better place. That's usually the last place to think about how do we optimize that. And optimizing means that you have to um, be intellectually honest about the needs. Poverty, I believe that there are two types, and, and let, let me set, I, set, I said that to set this up. There are two, I believe there's two types of poverty in the world that at least everyone in the world faces. There's a poverty of means, and means means access, right? So the kids that I meet out in the, out in the world, they have a poverty of means, a means to justice, access to justice, access to, and a lot of times food and, and healthcare. Any, any, any t- anything that can keep you alive um, and that allows you, that, that keeps you from thriving and moving ahead economically, though that person is facing a poverty of means. Now, there's another type of poverty that I think those of us that have maybe moved up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that where we aren't facing challenges for shelter and food and, and maybe, even, maybe even some kind of work and relationship and community, there's still those of us that are still, while we all have all those things in whatever levels they live at, we all face a poverty of meaning where we're looking for the thing that gives us meaning in life. Now, none of the kids that I meet in the mines are really worried about how other people see them. They aren't worried about whether or not they're going to be perceived or whether they're going to find out what they're meant to do, right? They aren't facing existential crises. They're facing very real crises. I'll give you an example. When um, I did a documentary in Haiti, I took uh, a uh, I took uh, the hip hop artist and actor Common. I don't know if you know who he is, but took him to. Uh, I did a CNN documentary with him, and I took him down to Haiti, and we met all these kids that are in slavery. Right, giving you a great example of where a poverty of means and a poverty of meaning collide. And Common and I were talking to this one girl who's a house slave. She lives on a dirt floor. It's just, it's just, it's hell on earth. Literal, literal hell on earth. And. Common was asking her, you know, do you have any dreams? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the little girl's response was, <laughs> I'll never forget it. Because she kind of looked at us like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I felt like such an idiot when she looked at us. She's like, yeah, I don't have those kinds of dreams. That's crazy. 
I have no concept of tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow means. That's a poverty of means. Yeah. But when we're always thinking about our tomorrow and, and our legacy and, and how people are going to perceive us, that's a poverty of meaning. And we've created entire industries that act as placebos for our poverty of meaning. I mean, Facebook today, I heard on the news, is like stressing out because people are using it less. Yeah. Why are people on Facebook? Yes, they're looking to connect, but they're also they're trying to address the poverty of meaning. Absolutely. I am. We're yeah. looking for things to like figure out, triangulate, like where we fit in the world and how we matter. That's a poverty of meaning. Hmm. So what my book tries to do is use some intellectual honesty and recognize that it's very unlikely we as a society are going to try to fix poverty of means if it doesn't somehow also fix our poverty of meaning. We're more interested in our poverty of meaning than our poverty. We'll give charity and we'll give extra to the problems of others, but nowhere near as now as much as we'll give to our own poverty of meaning. And guess what? That's okay. We are human beings. <laughs> We're facing different types of crises. What I'm interested in doing is seeing if we can create, this is back to the optimization, can we create ways in which, and that's what this book is designed to do, to help address both poverties at once. Hmm. Can we find out who we are by giving ourselves away? Can we find out what we're really capable of? Can we find out how to be a helper, how to be an accidental hero, so to speak, by taking on the problems of others? And I truly believe that there's a, there's a universal axiom that you truly find out who you are and what you're made of and how far you can go when you make the focus about other people's problems and not your own. And that is why it's called a selfish plan to change the world. Because when you change other people's lives, it is indeed selfish. It's actually doing something for you that no amount of success and happiness can ever uh, achieve in your life. Because the only way that you can find purpose in your life is through somebody else's problems. Man, that's pretty powerful. Like that's uh, that's what I was gonna ask you next is where does the selfish come from? And you just answered it. Like I feel like there's just mics dropping all over the country right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially growing up in a in a Christian context, like hearing that word "selfish" is almost like taboo. Like, let's not do anything of that nature, you know. Yeah. But you know, Jesus said, "Love others as yourself." Like, there, there's still yourself is is in there. It play it plays a part, and it's important. Absolutely. You, you can't divorce yourself of yourself. I don't believe that there's any such thing as altruism. I think that's a fairy tale as well. Man. I don't believe there's any such thing as selflessness. Otherwise, there wouldn't be religions designed that are so hard to achieve and so many levels to go after to remove yourself. Removing yourself from yourself is a lifelong journey. And recognizing that yourself, part of what you need is to be needed, yes. to be useful. Yeah. We want to be useful and and society doesn't offer us a lot of opportunities and sometimes church doesn't because sometimes their usefulness is just helping somebody else achieve their dream. Yeah. So so it's it I you know it's it's a little anarchic to just say, man, you've no idea what 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 design is over your life. I never, ever, ever thought that I would sell enterprise software to Fortune 500 companies to help find slavery in their supply chain. Oh, <laughs> Not my dream. <laughs> my dream was on a guitar. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I know that that's more useful than me holding a guitar at the moment. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Oh, man. I feel like I feel like that. So going back to the video that I watched of you, I feel like it came at the perfect time because – I've been kind of just thinking about my life and what I want to do because I feel like when I first moved out to Flint, I you know I worked for a church and I had meaning and I had I was and my meaning was I'm just going to serve the people in this community to the best of yeah. my ability, and then I got laid off and then the church closed down closed down shortly after that and my wife and I are like kind of feeling this like angst in our souls like what do we do now and why do we feel uncontent and I think it's because. And I haven't told her this yet, my, my findings. And I think your your talk at Google kind of gave me the the right verbiage to use when we have this talk. Like, we don't have our meaning anymore. We, we kind of lost it, I think. And now that we're just kind of like, do-do-do, what do we do next? And instead of actually, like, maybe pursuing something and looking for that new meaning to, to tr just do something 
to help somebody else because I really feel like that that's where when we were when we were serving people in the city of Flint in the community that we were in yeah we didn't we did we were just so I feel like it was hard work but it was the most rewarding work I've ever done in my entire life and now that I don't have it I think that's why I feel discontent and anxious I can I can I can completely understand there's something in that that was like that that was that you were born to do that yeah and um, and probably the next thing is is wrapped around that somewhat but it I'll tell you man finding purpose finding meaning it 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 really is your own gig like I think we look to institutions to do that for us and kind of lay it out sometimes that works but how many people you know that work for churches and work for charities that are still complaining at the end of the day about X, Y, and Z because it's not quite, you know. It's not quite I mean, right. yeah. they're grateful, but it's like, it's still not, there's like, there's this idea of like, I was made for more. I can do more. Yeah. And I've learned personally that um, it, 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 if there is a crucible uh, to some degree to go through to find that. And part of that crucible is the willingness to do things where you feel out of control and don't feel certainty. And, and I face that literally every day of like, I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to work. I'm not sure if that's going to work, but I have to move. I have to step into chaos. And I think that we just have a natural desire. I know I do to avoid chaos, to avoid confusion, yeah. to pursue certainty. And if you read the Bible figuratively, or if you read it literally, it doesn't really matter, especially the first couple chapters. It's all about cosmos entering chaos. Yeah. And then that narrative being handed off to these like the species called human beings. And every story is about walking into chaos. It's not about walking away. It's about walking into uncertainty. And that's the stories that we remember. And so I encourage you to that that it is natural to feel let down and and kind of like pushed out of the circle when you were doing what you were doing. But I would I would not let go of the fact that in that place you felt purpose and you you felt um, you know favor and yeah. and there's another path towards that. But it may require you to take some risks and do some things that you haven't done. before. Gosh, man! <laughs> oh man! I'm ah. so, no, I'm like, 30 bucks an hour for counseling. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, I've heard Alex like make these comments and ask that same question to so many different people, and I think that might be the best answer you've gotten. Yeah, so I think far. so. I think so too. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Oh my gosh, uh, uh, man! So there are people who are listening to this right now. And they're trying to figure out their meaning. What are some questions people could start to ask themselves to get them going in that direction? Kind of like some Kickstarters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some freebies. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that when um, you know, I get people. You know, when I speak or when I we've made a you know made something and take it out and get on the road, I get people come up and and say, you know, I. I love what you're doing. I just, I wish I could do something that kind of like fail. Like I, I, you know, I'm not like you cause I can't do your thing and I just don't know what that is. And I usually start right there because I say, yeah, you can't do my thing. That's mine. You can't. Have it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and, and I'm going to take it another step and, and you don't want it. You don't yeah. want my thing and you don't want somebody else's thing because you're just going to fail and it's going to hurt. And when you start building your narrative off of somebody else's narrative, it's, it's not going to feel right. Um, what I do say is stop listening to what other people are telling you to care about and listen to what you care about. So, you know, look, I mean, I, 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 want, I want kids to be free, not just the ones that are alive today, but the ones that are going to be the 1.2 billion that are coming over the next 12 years. I want them to grow up in a world where they've got a shot. And that opportunity is a little bit more evenly distributed. That's that's my that's my riot. That's my thing. But that might not be yours. And I don't think it needs to be other people's. I don't. It doesn't need to be. That's just what I've what I've taken on. It, for you, it might be, or for someone else, it might be. Yeah, I noticed that there's, you know, there's all these working families in my neighborhood, and they're the parents just don't have enough time to do homework with, you know, the third graders. That that is that is as important as 
anything else in the world. If you've got some capacity to help, you know, parents that are both parents who are working and you might have some time to help your neighbors with their kids during their homework, and that is life for you, that's it. But I would push back and say, it's whatever is the thing that you bothers you the most. What wets your eyes? What makes you go, oh, I wish blank was fixed in the world. I wish somebody would do something about this. If you're saying that, I want you to stand up, go look in the mirror, and you found it. It's, you're the person. It's so funny. So be, I feel like 2016 kind of forced me to start kind of listening to politics a little bit because everything was just so crazy. It's like, man, it's just one giant, huge reality TV show. I can't miss an episode. And right. It was funny. It, it was funny to me listening to both sides argue about particular issues, and I'm, people know where I have my leanings towards. But I'll just say this: I was listening to, on a particular topic, them talk about talk about inner cities, and I'm like, well, I, I live in an inner city. I know what that's like. And listening to both of them talk, both sides talk, Republican and Democrat. I'm like, yeah, you guys don't have have the right answer. And I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there listening to a podcast, thinking like they don't have it. They have no idea what they're doing. They should do this, this, and this. And I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. Maybe I should do that instead of just yelling at this podcast. Maybe I should get off my butt and actually do something, as opposed to telling these political figures who have no idea what they're doing. I should. I should just do something. So yeah. <laughs> There's almost no way that they can know. They don't. No, they don't. And and um, you know. Having a declaration about a problem uh, may release some dopamine in your brain. Um, having an opinion and feeling bluster and arguing about something might actually f give you the feeling that you're doing something. Like Just like my son feels like he's playing basketball when he's playing NBA 2K, <laughs> but his butt is on the couch. Yeah. And he does play basketball, by the way. But my, my point being, his brain is telling him you're doing this. And when we argue about things that should be happening in the world, our brain is telling us we're fixing it. It's it's releasing dopamine and telling us that, that's right. You're you're doing something, and and it's and it's a, it's a <laughs> it's a gateway drug to um uh to slothfulness, mm. frankly, <laughs> because we're just. I mean, your opinion is so sterile and it will not impregnate anything in the world other than yourself and so while opinions are good to have they really are air and so we wrestle with not having meaning and yet we have so many opinions and somewhere the twain have to meet and that's where you find a path forward and it's not a comfortable it's not a comfortable intersection the things and i talk about in my book that when I realized that I had opinions about human trafficking <laughs> and then I actually saw it for myself. I had to make the choice. Well, I want to do something about it. And here's what I did. I looked to others to give me something to do. And you know what they gave me to do? And, and, and it was rightfully so. It was organizations that are working on human trafficking said, well, go raise money for us. And I absolutely did. But then I came back. I'm like, yeah, what's in my heart is more than what's in my pocket. And they couldn't solve for that, and nor should they. Nor, no charity can do that. Yeah. So what that means is, yeah, you actually got to go out and do something and taking that first step. So the, you ask for some steps. The first one is find your own riot. That's what I mean by find your riot. Find the riot inside of you. Your riot is the thing in you that you wish was different in the world, and it's specific to who you are. And if you can get in touch with that, and I just gave you some tells about how to find that, but if you can get in touch with that, that really is step one. That really is important to, to be able to understand that. Because otherwise, you're just having opinions about the entire world and nothing. no one's getting helped anywhere. Hmm. Finding your right is the first thing. And then the next step is that the next thing you do, and that's what I had to do as well, is like, yeah, human trafficking is my right. And then the next step is you have to actually step out to do something. Now, the natural thing to do is to look for permission. And oh, that's what I did. Yeah. I'm like, someone needs to give me permission that knows what they're doing. Because that's just like, right? right? I mean, good God, you guys were pastors or probably like, you kind of like, even pastoring, like you kind of like want someone who's a pastor to tell you like, yeah, you're a pastor. And, and reality is, I don't actually think that's what scripture says, but whatever. <laughs> um, that's kind of like how we do things. We look for right. we look for permission. And sure, sometimes that keeps people from going off the rails and doing crazy stuff. But we're going to have to get crazy if we want to change the world. And we have to do some crazy stuff. And some people just have to step out and not ask permission. 
And for me, I knew what was in my heart that was greater than was in my pocket, and I needed to try something. And so I stepped out. And for me, it was, I was in the music industry at the time, and I'm like, you know, I feel like we need to film some performances about human trafficking. This is 11 years ago. We need to like get musicians together and raise awareness because no one's heard of it. And I kind of went to my friends and I'm like, who's going to do it? Come on, video director friend, why don't you do it? And why don't you do it? They're like, yeah, why don't you? We'll follow, we'll help, but you do it. <laughs> and I did. And it was scary. I mean, like, tears scary. Because, like, here I am, like, emptying out my savings account during Grammys week to hire a bunch of cameramen to film, you know, Modest Yahoo or the Cold War Kids or whatever it was that I was filming at the time going, what am I doing? What am I – I have no idea how to do this. But what's so weird is that when you take that step on your riot, people show up. People show up. You will never do – you will never change the world alone. You never will. When you make yourself vulnerable to somebody else's problems, people show up. And it is the most miraculous – one of the most miraculous experiences other than childbirth that I've ever seen. Hmm. Man, you, you hit on that. that. Talking about asking permission and, and not asking permission is so countercultural to the Christian environment that I grew up in. Yeah, me too. Uh, and, me too. And I've always, I've always admired people who just do it. Who just they just go and it's like well you can't do that you have to ask permission first, yeah, and and they didn't, and it's it's awesome and they're doing Alex you did it you started here I am trying to be a pastor and everything I do every single step of the way I'm looking for validation I'm asking permission instead of doing I'm I'm stuck in a rut and I look over here at Alex being just this young kid starts this amazing Bible study. With this group of guys. Amazing. I mean, just telling guys that there's going to be pizza at my house was enough (laughs) to draw them in. What I'm saying is you developed a ministry without asking anybody for permission. That's it. That's it. And I would have never started that without asking the opinion of 50 different people until I I weighed it out. And here you you just went with it. And it was to see, you know, this group of guys who probably shouldn't be in a room together. <laughs> there's so many different backgrounds. I get uncomfortable when people talk me up. <sighs> but yet they're all sharing a meal together and hugging each other and praying for one another. It's like, what the heck is this, man? You didn't ask for me. But here, there's there's something to it. No. But I would argue that you gave permission. Because you took a risk, you gave permission for others to participate. And we That's are awesome. looking for it. There is a place in our lives where we want we want someone to create a wake in which we can participate in. And sometimes that gives courage for others to take a risk as well. Hmm. Man. So like, Justin, my question for you is like, obviously during that you got pushback, like you hit some roadblocks. There's like you had to have. Yeah. Tons. How, how do you forge ahead in those? How do you not, how do you not beat yourself up? And this may be from a Christian context too, but how do you feel like, like, okay, maybe God didn't want me to do this. Maybe I'm doing the wrong, I'm on the wrong path. Maybe so-and-so is right. How do you, how do you get past the negative self-talk and yeah. continue on in your riot? Yeah, you'll never get past it. It, it, is, it is a constant voice in your ear. I, 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 had a, I had a very difficult thing happen to me this week um, that uh, you know, brought me to tears, quite frankly, um, when you're not supposed to. Uh, you're, not, you're not supposed to cry in the back of an Uber. And I did this week. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> I, I just didn't. I feel, yeah, I was talking to my wife about something. That just, I was just, so it was awkward. Yeah. Um, I feel like that could be a I song. Say that, I say that because that's because everyone's scared and no one wants to admit it. Yeah. We're all scared. We're all running a little bit scared. And um, don't believe anyone who tells you they're not. You know, the people that are running this country are running scared. The people that are running industries are running scared. There's something that's driving that they're afraid of. And I think being honest with that, we're not allowed to pronounce that. And sometimes we legally can't say that if we're running a company or running a government. I I get all that. But we just have to remember that everyone's running a little bit scared. And everyone's got an opinion. And people are going to share their opinion. And every ounce of someone else's opinion has a little bit of fear in it. 
Hmm. It's got a little bit of fear in it. And you don't even know what that is. You don't know the backstory of that fear. You don't know what it is. So people would come and tell me left and right, you cannot do this. You cannot put a film in theaters. You cannot make a film. You can't get celebrities to do it. You can't work with the government. You can't sell risk assessment software to companies. You can't ask consumers how many slaves work for you. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. There's just people t- t- constantly telling you that. And I'm not, I'm not saying don't listen to wisdom because um, there is some wisdom out there. And then frankly, there's some things that I've done that I, I wish I'd listened to wisdom. But I'm not going to listen to someone telling me that I can't. What I, I surround myself with is people who are really interested in helping me because I have helpers too that are helping me with the narrative and that, that are, are cheering me on. And, and not as a hero, but recognizing that I'm in a vulnerable position. And I won't have any cheerleaders and I won't have any helpers when I start taking the wheel and acting like I'm in, I'm in control because they'll just disappear. That just is what naturally happens. When you believe that you've got this, helpers disappear because there's no place for them. And I, I get afraid of that for people who run our country and sometimes run industries because there's so much consolidated power that they've got no one around them to tell them no. And that truly people around them that love them and they care about them and that are for them to tell them no. You've got plenty of people telling you no, but you need people around you that love you and are for you. But one of the things that I try to remember too is to not fall, there's a pandemic in our world, and I've seen it certainly in the church. There's a pandemic of non-essential epicitis. Whoa. Non-essential epicitis. Sounds terminal. It, it is, it is, it's it you can get a rash. Um <laughs> have to get linseed oil to get it off <laughs> oh that stuff's nasty <laughs> it's it's pretty nasty um non-essential epic goddess is believing that everything that you have to do has to be epic oh. and when we think about helping others we think well it's got to be ep- it's got to be a huge church yeah. it's got to be a huge charity people have to recognize it go big or go home no Go in or go home. That's 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 how you do it. That's how you find meaning in your life. Is it's not about go big or go home. It's go all in or go home. And if you go all in or go home, go go all in or go home. It's going to be big, but that can't be the motivation. The motivation has to be back to what we were talking about earlier. You have to want to be a helper. Yeah, nailed it out of the park, yeah. Justin. Thank I mean, you so much. I like I I want to. I don't know if challenge is the right word, but. I kind of want to have you back on our show in like three years <laughs> and like see how this is like impacted us and see okay. kind of the progress that we've made. Okay. You laughing that's, such at a, me. that's such a lofty goal. But I know. I, I, after this interview, not, anything is possible. <laughs> well. I, I hope that I, I mean, uh, I think we're all, we're all on a journey and I would expect the same, uh, same, uh, criterion for me as well. I mean, I think that I can talk a great game, but I gotta go. I have, I have to live it. I, I, I wrestle with these things every day. I wrestle with holding onto my riot. I wrestle with looking for permission. I wrestle with taking risks just like everyone else. And so the reason I wrote this book is to give normal everyday individuals just a little bit of a guide map, a little bit of a plan into helping find out what, what their superpowers are and what they might be able to do without having to do anything epic, without having to leave Flint or leave Tucson or wherever they might be listening, but actually finding a way to change their world from, from inside of their lives. And I think if we can find that, we can, we can solve both of the poverties we were talking about. Excellent. Dude, Justin, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it and it's great. just good looking at the three of you, John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of felt like I was, you know, I've been I was a little intimidated the entire time, just like he's looking at me like he's gonna blow a hole through my chest. <laughs> Saddle up, Pilgrim. <laughs>
I held on to my butt the whole entire time, Jason. <laughs> oh, Justin Dillon, man. everybody. Take it or leave it. I think you should take it and run with it. Yeah. What is the meaning of your life? No, I mean, he talks about poverty of means and poverty of meaning. I guess if that, if I, that, if that, which is pretty much how I sounded that whole entire interview after he finished <laughs> making each point. If there's one thing I could take away from it, would be the poverty of meaning. Yeah. Versus the poverty poverty of means. And him saying that, like some people, like they lack means, they lack things, they need things, and other people lack meaning. Mm. And we are surrounded by people who, for better words, lack meaning. Yeah. And when you connect that to things like suicide, it gets really serious really fast. To me, it's like it's striking. And he makes that he makes that analogy in his book. The end result of poverty on both ends of the spectrum is like death. It's like, not good. No. No, the whole idea of helping others and finding value in that, gigantic. His book, A Selfish Plan to Change the World, is out now. And you need to get it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Jason. And we want you guys to give us your feedback on this episode. We, we, we had a lot of takeaways from this episode, so we want to hear your guys' feedback. Which, by the way, Jason, we got some feedback oh! from last week's episode. Yeah, we did. Cue the music, Alex. All righty. I want you to press the button, because I always press the button. Huh? <laughs> you got to get that button fixed. <laughs> There is no button, Alex farted. <laughs> you do you do one of the best like fart noise. I love that fart noise. It's hilarious. It's just subtle and nice and dainty. It is. <laughs> Read some feedback, please. <laughs> oh man, you know what? I was like trolling the Instagrams. Yeah. Just because I do in a stalker sort of way. And I saw, you know, one of the podcasts says I listen to is drinking at Bible study. Okay. Which I mean, I'm slurring my speech and it sounds like I'm drunk. Really? Candy cigarettes, guys. That's it. That's it. I mean, I'm wired. I'm, I'm sitting right across from them <laughs> and can confirm. But I saw they had a picture of Joy Beth Smith's book, Party of One. And I'm like, hey, we just interviewed her. And they're like, yeah, we heard that. Great episode. <laughs> <laughs> So I just thought that was cool. That is but, really neat. But we got some more feedback from Joy Beth's episode. Uh, Carrie Jellick says, "What up, Carrie?" Yeah, at NY Pastors. That's our Twitter handle. If you want to reach out to us there, New York Pastors yep. all day, ever, every day. Yep. She says, "I have a friend who is single and just bought her own house last year. I totally need to share this episode with her." Yes, you do. Yep, you do. You all the single ladies. All the single. No, ladies. Alex, stop that. Now put your hands up. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay, so along with the episode last week, Alex, remember how I started that off with, you know, the, the dream scenario? Yeah. Or that conference? Yeah. Well, I went ahead and I posted that on Twitter. Like, seriously, this is what I said. Seriously, how do we make a conference with Hillary McBride, Jamie the Very Worst Missionary, Rachel Held Evans, Joy Beth Smith, Sarah Bessie happen? Literally a dream come true. And we got some replies on that. First, Hillary McBride says, I'm down. <laughs> Spoken like a two psychiatrist. That's one. Yeah. Um... Jamie, the very worst missionary, says, I'm in. (laughs) And Joy Joy Beth Smith says, if this is a prophetic dream, I don't want to be the one to stand in the way. (laughs) And then Hillary McBride says, what does it mean that I can't stop thinking about this? (laughs) It means that. Jason, you're planning and not you, not your <laughs> pastor's women's conference or something. Whatever gonna, we're going to call gonna, it. I'm going to have to. And I have exactly zero idea on how to do that. So if anyone wants to help, like, go for it. Like, that would be amazing. And literally a dream come true. There you go, Jason. You went full Joseph. It's coming full circle. Yeah. I want that hashtag to start. <laughs> like, whenever somebody has a crazy dream, they just hashtag full Joseph. <laughs> All right, to close out the feedback, we got a question from none other than Shauna Ryman. Oh, I know her. 
You know her? Yeah, I live with her. Oh. She's a really, she's swell. Yeah, yes, yes she is. Uh, She says, in response to your singleness episode, I started thinking in what ways can we incorporate singles into our community groups without making them feel ostracized? Also, what types of events would singles like to see more of in the church as opposed to always having couple or family outing activities? And you know what? I didn't know how to answer that question. And so I asked Joy Beth. Why not? uh, To see uh, what she would say. Uh, She says this. Much of this will vary person to person, group to group. So a good strategy would be to ask these questions to the singles in your church or community group. That way you're getting feedback that's catered to your context. In general, I think backtracking and making sure that that before we start tinkering with programming, we've first adjusted what we're teaching, expanding, air quotes, family, to include more than just the nuclear family and viewing hospitality as a biblical mandate that invites us to see those who are single or isolated among us and bring them into our small groups, into our rows on Sunday mornings, into our lunch plans, even when it's inconvenient. When those are the lenses we are looking through, programming becomes easier. You realize that singles are probably struggling on Valentine's Day. You see the few single people who brave the family picnic who are sitting by themselves and don't have to wonder why the rest of them cleared out after the service. And because we're building relationships with single people, you know these things and they're important to you. And in general, movie or game nights or community events like bonfires, s'mores and stories, she gives it an example, are great for breaking down walls and inviting single people into a place that doesn't feel too family centric. Yeah, absolutely Joy Beth. Good, some good advice. Yeah, I mean, and a great question from a very lovely lady. Oh, wink. <laughs> so, Jason, at the beginning of our episode, we mentioned something really, really cool, and it involves dollar, dollar bills. <laughs> There's no way to like, like, I don't. I'm gonna feel awkward. That's why you any and every time we have to ask, like, we ask for money. So my my defense mechanism is anytime I'm in a really awkward situation. I tell jokes. So that's what you you had to do. I just slowly back away and then roll down a hill. (laughs) (laughs) That meme, that Simpsons meme is awesome. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, we, so we, we're, we're, we're launching a Patreon. It's, it's something to kind of help keep the lights on. Yeah. You know, and you know, help us fulfill some dreams. Like Alex, we originally started as like a video podcast. Yeah, we wanted to do video. Like I think our first three podcasts are up on video on YouTube somewhere. They're on YouTube internet. And you know what's you know what's crazy about that is like I think those YouTube videos have more plays on them than our SoundCloud. Like Yeah, they do? Yeah. It's pretty close. Man, that's crazy to me. I know it. Everybody's going that route, you know. Uh, video and, and whatnot but yeah so we have some, we have dreams and goals we have dreams and goals we like to get to and we also want to you know buy more legos and things and take our kids to disney world one day no, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kidding that's not what this money's for this but, money is strictly for the podcast yeah, if you go to patreon.com backslash nypp you can see our dreams and goals and, and you can also see the different levels of giving because yep. we know that there's people out there that can maybe only give a dollar there's some people like our parents I can maybe give $35. <laughs> and that's why we call it the mom, mo- mother and father level. <laughs> yeah. So at, e- at each level um, that you contribute, we provide, you know, yeah. be it bonus content or having you on our show or, yeah. or mentioning your name or letting you call us or having us call you mommy or daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> it is, but, you know, it might happen. Anyway, Jason, you said you had one more announcement. Uh, yeah, dude, Alex, I don't know if I told you or not, but Jess, my wife, is going to be on Outside the Walls. Oh, with Brandon Andrus. Yes. This guy on the internet. Yes. Him and also Sarah Dismore. Oh, Who wow. was on our abortion episode. Man, if wow. you have not listened to That's that episode. That's a trifecta right there. Yeah. Um, abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Yep. That episode is... Sarah Dismore shares her story, and you need to go listen to that. 
Boom. Truly amazing. Wow, the right there. That's a that's a podcast trinity right there if I ever heard one. Yeah, and so they're going to be doing a handful of episodes and I'm I'm excited for Jess to be on a podcast which I mean, let's face it. I've already seen like the topics that she's cooking up. It's going to be way better than our podcast. Go for it. Yep. Go for it. Swing, no, it's going to it's going to be awesome. Swing for the fences. Yep. So Jason, uh you know, we're going to wrap this episode up. I mean, who knows when the next Michigan snowstorm is going to roll in and we're going to be stuck in here. Yeah. Just, just snowed in. Endlessly listening and to we're podcasts. Gonna, our food supplies are going to run out. We're going to have to decide, you know, who's going to eat who when somebody dies and this and that. And it's going to be really, really brutal. So for everybody out there that's struggling through the winter, what do you want to tell them? To keep their spirits up, to make sure that they don't resort to cannibalism or any other atrocities that you can commit on another person. What do you want to tell them to uplift them? To literally keep your stick on the ice. And when I say literally, it means there's actually a sheet of ice behind your house (laughs) that you can play hockey on because it's that freaking cold out. (laughs) Stay safe. Have fun, everybody.